This is the Race Like a Girl podcast, where you always get a one of a kind RC talk experience from the female perspective. Our motto is to always strive to beat the guys. So without further ado, here are your fuel burning, four wheel drive turning hosts, Katie and Mackenzie. So we've got another PNB episode to bring for you guys. Well, mostly PNB, but we um, always enjoy our time talking to Chloe Fend. So we want to welcome Chloe on the podcast today. So hey, Chloe. Hey, thanks for having me. So we saw each other at PNB. Honestly, I don't know how we didn't get to hang out more than we did. Um, I joked when I interviewed Katie Roxbury and like Sunday was like a blur for me main day because I felt like my husband and I were panic gluing is what I called it. (laughs) And so... I don't know, like, I felt like I was running the same tires all weekend, but then for whatever reason, I was like, man, the track's kind of gripping up on main day, and we really didn't race till later in the day, so the more the track was changing throughout the day, I was like, oh, darn it, now we don't need these tires that we glued, I need a different set of tires. (laughs) You're trying to be all prepared, and then it doesn't work, That that's the worst, I hate it when that happens. (laughs) but the good news is that we have plenty of tires glued now for any of our local club races (laughs) perfect so I guess before we talk about PNB it's been a minute since we've like chatted with you on the podcast it was like PNB last year but PNB was a lot later in the year just because they were trying to you know push the race off to try to still have it with things shutting down and so we raced PNB in July last year I think it was but it was kind of like back to the normal schedule this year so kind of just catch us up on what has been going on in the Fend household the last year I saw that you guys got a boat that's super cool yeah it's funny I feel like every time I'm on here and talking with you we've like either moved on to a different toy or like gathered a new one and I guess this time <laughs> we ended up with a boat <laughs> um so yeah that's kind of been going on we've been playing around with like surfing and trying to just hang out on the free weekends that we have um so it's been fun it's been good um it's still pretty cold here in Michigan so we're waiting for the warmer weather we had a couple of like 80 degree days And now we're back to a snowstorm. So we're crossing our fingers for some warmer weather so we get a little more time to mess around and just kind of learn a new hobby or entertainment, I guess. So we live in North Carolina and we live right by Lake Norman. I don't know if you've ever heard of Lake Norman, um, but my sister-in-law actually has a boat. And so if you guys ever want to come stay at Lake Norman and bring your boat down here, we'd be more than happy to have you at Lake Norman. That would be so much fun. I would love that. 
It was like the other day it was 80 degrees, so it almost was warm enough to take the bow out. I think my um, sister-in-law's fiance actually actually has taken out once or twice. I'm not trying to rub it in that it's warmer (laughs) weather. I'm just saying if you want to come down here, especially in the earlier spring or fall months, you could probably still get some boating in. Oh, that sounds great. Dakota and I went on Amazon and purchased ourselves some wetsuits and have been wetsuiting in our lakes in like 52 degree water. So well, your warmer water water sounds much more appetizing than ours right now. <laughs> Holy cow, what is that like to go swimming in that cold of water? Like do you is that what you do? Is do you like put the wetsuits on and swim? Um, so we got the wetsuits just so that way we can like surf and use our boat more in the spring. Cause in Michigan, you only get about three months where it's warm enough where you don't need anything but your bathing suit. So we just kind of went all in and got some wetsuits so that way we can enjoy the more like April and May and then kind of into like October water in Michigan, but they help a lot, but it's still cold. 50, 52 degree water is still freezing. <laughs> I can only imagine. So are you guys planning to like, I saw that your boat, I think can definitely handle like water skis or wakeboarding or something like that. Is that what you all are trying to get into with your boat? Yeah. So we kind of started playing around. I don't know if you've seen people who like wake surf. So it's like surfing behind the boat. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but... Yeah, we see it on Lake Norman a lot. It's like they don't even have strings. They just surf in the wake. Yeah, no ropes, no nothing. You just, like, stay right there in the wake. So we've been messing around with that, and it's been a lot of fun. We're definitely getting hooked on it, for sure. That is super fun. I go water skiing. Um... I feel like I tried wakeboarding and I wasn't really that good at it. But for whatever reason, I was really good at water skiing. And so I water ski a lot off of my father-in-law's boat or my sister-in-law's boat. Um, But I don't know why wakeboarding was so difficult for me. I feel like if you translate to like what I'm comfortable with in the snow, I've only ever skied in the snow. I don't really snowboard in the snow. So maybe that's why water skiing is more comfortable for me than wakeboarding. But I've never tried wake surfing. So it's really interesting to hear. I'm curious like how difficult that is to learn or like what got you interested in it. Have you guys surfed like that kind of surfing at an actual like beach or in the ocean? So I totally feel you when you say that wakeboarding was a lot harder than skiing, especially if you grow up snow skiing, because I feel like that's kind of what it relates to. Um, So Dakota and I like to snowboard in the winter, but I grew up skiing. So I was definitely more comfortable. I grew up like water skiing and snow skiing. So when I got into snowboarding in the winter, because Dakota was into it, so I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. It's been a really hard thing to learn, and it hurts a lot more when you fall in the snow because the ground is so hard and cold than it does in the water. So I feel like I'm a lot more braver when it comes to, like, trying new things in the water versus in the snow. And so 
taking on this new adventure of learning how to snowboard, I was like, okay, well, let's try like wakeboarding and seeing how that is. And it's very similar because, you know, your feet are strapped in and you're going like that one direction. But with surfing, you're only going 10 miles an hour. So you're going relatively slow and you aren't strapped into anything. So when you fall or wipe out, it's pretty much painless because you don't have anything attached to you that's going to pull you in any way. And you're only going 10 miles an hour. So you kind of just sink down into the water. I feel like what would be the hardest about that is getting up though. Like how do you get to the point where you're like standing up and matching the boat speed? Because if you're not going the boat speed when you're trying to get up, then you like lose the wake. Right. So you start with the rope. So it's kind of like skiing or um, wakeboarding. Like you have a rope to start you out with. So it kind of helps pull you up out of the water. And then I don't, you know, I don't know the logistics of it. You magically just end up in the wave and it you stay there based on like your positioning on your board. Like if you put more weight on your front foot, then you're going to go forward more and like vice versa. I, yeah, I would love to know more of the in and like ins and outs of it, but we're still, we're still learning. We're getting there. Ask me next year and maybe I'll have a little more advice for you. <laughs> I am definitely no professional at that either. Um, I feel like there were so, for the longest time, I like couldn't get up on a wakeboard or water skis and everybody was trying to like tell me to do this or do that. And all of a sudden, like one time I just magically got up and they were like, what'd you do differently? I was like, I don't know, but I bet you I can't get up again. And I, yeah, it just clicked. Like it was like very easy after that. And I really can't even explain what I did differently. It's just like once I did it one time, I was like, oh, okay, that's how you get up. But there's really no in between. It's either like you get up or you don't. <laughs> no, 100%. It's. Once you, I feel like once you get up the first time, you kind of like, you get the feeling for it, you know what it's supposed to feel like. So I think it makes it easier your second, third, fourth, fifth time, because you're like, okay, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And then I don't know, it makes it easier. But I think it's definitely you're either up or you're down and there's no in between. Well, I definitely feel like that's something that you're going to have fun with over the summer. So I hope that you have plenty of warm days, even in Michigan, to um, go out and use your new boat because that's super exciting. Thanks. Yeah, me too. I'm crossing my fingers for warmer weather here. It'll come eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into PNB specifics too, um, since it's been a minute since we checked in, I just want to hear, um, do you feel like anything has changed over the past year with racing? Do you feel like, you know, with everything going on, that it's still kind of like, and eh, you know, it's it's fine. It's normal. Dakota goes to all the races that he normally goes to and you as well with him. Or do you feel like anything's changed because of everything that's going on? That's a great question. I think um, physically, like racing wise, we're like the 2021 season has been pretty normal and typical from like our seasons past. Um, races are scheduled in advance and nothing's really getting canceled or moved, um, too crazy much. I think more just like the mental 
the mental toll and also like the mental, I don't know, aspect of it all has kind of changed a little bit. I think that COVID last year, we had such a huge break um, in the racing season. And I think that it's had um, some benefits, at least with Dakota. Um, I think that just having that time off and those couple months off to just reset and regroup and just kind of take a break from racing um when you're gone more days out of the year than you are home racing it's very easy to get burnt out from it so I think having all that time off last year was a really good just reset button for Dakota to kind of give him the the want to go racing again and the missing it because it's hard you know when you're doing it so much to have that oh I want to go racing or I miss it you're more looking at okay when's my next day off kind of a thing so I think it's been it's been a good reset for him at least for the 2021 season to just have that like earning to want to go to races again and want to be super successful and just be racing as much as he was in the past yeah I feel like it's interesting to hear your guys's perspective on it because most of us go to a race because we choose to go to a race or like you said like it it's fun because we do get to choose and it's not a job for Dakota, especially it's a full-time job. So that's, I guess what my question was, is do you feel like his job has changed any, any, or if it's like, yeah, you know, the job's still there and it's good. Yeah. I think that it's changed as far as we don't have as many races as we used to. There's no, like, there wasn't, there's a couple nationals that still haven't been scheduled, and there's no Worlds this year, again, for a second year in a row. So I think that our schedules definitely lightened up a little bit. Um, But as far as, like, it's still being a job, it's, I think Dakota still feels that way, and it's just trying to find that balance of, like, it being a job, but still wanting to make sure that he's enjoying it and having fun. So you could speak for, well, I definitely want to hear what you have to say, but if you know what race Dakota is looking forward to as well, you can speak for Dakota. Um, But you mentioned like being excited again to go to the races. So like what race are you looking forward to the most going with Dakota to in the 2021 season? And has like Dakota mentioned anything to you of like, oh, I'm really excited for the Nats or something like that? Yeah, so I think I'm personally most excited for um, Silver State in May. Um, That one's in Las Vegas. We always have a ton of fun there. Lots of friends um, come down, and a lot of them will bring their wives just because we're in an area where there's actually things to do, where there's a track. So it does make it um, fun for me personally because I get to see people that I don't get to see all the time. And Dakota... He's definitely been talking about the fuel mats in Pennsylvania. I know he really enjoyed that track. I, don't, I want to say 2014, but I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I know he really enjoyed the facility and the track. And I think there's a really good steak restaurant there that Dakota's brought up year after year about wanting to go back there to go to that Pacific restaurant. So be on the lookout for that. If you're going to fuel mats, make sure you get get some advice on where to eat because I know there's a good restaurant there 
I will definitely have to hit Dakota up then because are you going to the Fuel Nats, Chloe, or no? I am. Are you guys going? Yes. Oh, awesome. Well, maybe we'll be able to do dinner together one night. Yes, we will definitely have to catch up with the Fuel Nats because I feel like be- because the Fuel Nats is spread out over more days, you you can get done at a more normal time, maybe, but I don't know, just because it's a longer time, it feels like you have more time to do stuff. We'll see when we get there, but I would love to do something like that. That would be super fun. Yeah, that would be great. I hope that we'll, I think I agree with it being more days, you definitely get done earlier, which gives you the opportunity to be able to do stuff like that. But I am super jealous about Silver State. Silver State is always a bucket list race for me, and I would like because a lot of the wives are going, I would totally love to be there and hang out with you guys or go to a casino or something like that. I fully think that if I did go to Silver State, my grandma would probably honestly go with me, whether she watched me or not at the races. You know, that's to be determined. But she loves Las Vegas and going to the casino and things like that. Um, fuel Nats is just so easy because it's in the summer. So it's like a typical time that a teacher is off. And um, Silver State is always like towards the end of the uh, end of the school year. And it's just really hard when you're like trying to prep for the end of the school year to take that many days off. If it was just like a Friday race, race or just a Friday that I had to take off, I could maybe make Silver State work. But Silver State is always so hard to work out with my schedule but I'm so jealous that you are going to Las Vegas yeah it's it's I think it's really cool because there's not a lot of races that are in like places like that like I think that's kind of what makes it different like PMB has its its edge with doing the around the clock 24 hour stuff and I think Silver State kind of has that effect on people as well where it's on their bucket list just because it's in a giant casino and there's a lot of spectators who come in to watch who are at the casino. So it gives people kind of a new, it introduces people into RC and that it actually is a thing as well there. And it's convenient for people to bring their families because there's pools and lots of options for their wives and kids to go do while they enjoy racing. Yeah, to me, that's part of the fun of the sport and why, like, my husband and I don't mind traveling or will travel to a lot of these races because, like, one of my two favorite tracks to go to is either Phil Hurd in Savannah, Georgia, or um, Badlands in Myrtle Beach because they are in areas that's very much so, like, you could do other things. So, like, for example, Savannah, um, Phil Hurd in Savannah, they were racing over our anniversary one time. And uh, so we like raced on Saturday. It was just a Saturday race, you know, nothing crazy. And we actually stayed there like two extra days. We stayed there Sunday, Monday, just to like enjoy um, some of the sightseeing stuff in Savannah. So that's part of the fun and traveling to me. Yeah, I think it's really especially when you find somewhere that you can go do other things or stay a couple of days later. I really, I'm really big on staying after or going a little bit early just because we are traveling to all these different areas and it's cool to explore and kind of see like what that area has to offer. Um, now when we're like able to travel and we are traveling so much versus, you know, later on down the road when we have kids or we're not all traveling together, 
knowing, like sitting there thinking, oh, I like may have missed out on something or we could have seen this more, stayed there more. So I think it's definitely, if you're able to do that, I'd say definitely take advantage of it. I saw a lot of people making trips, pro drivers, especially making trips out of P&B. I think I saw some people going to Dollywood and maybe it was the Tebos that went somewhere in Tennessee for like a mountain bike family event. Yeah. And I think I saw the Westergaard stay there an extra day or two. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, we um, we did that last year where we stayed a couple days and like went to a bunch of state parks and did some hiking and stuff like that. This year, I think we finished it around 11. Was it like it was like 10 or 11 p.m. And we just got in the truck and like booked it home. It was just I think that we were all just really exhausted at that point and just thinking, okay, if we stayed a couple days, then we'd be thinking, oh, we could have been home by now. And so we definitely didn't take advantage of it this time, but I'm jealous for those who did. That's interesting to hear that you drove home that night. How far of a drive was it to get home? I can't quite say I drove home because (laughs) I didn't drive one single hour of it. But it, it's about a nine-hour jaunt. We rode down with some friends. Um, so they, Mike Sontag, who pitted Dakota at PMB, him and Dakota kind of like switched off and on um, throughout the night. But it was long. But it was nice being home in the morning. We got home around like 8 o'clock and we're home for the day and got to kind of take that day to recover before jumping back into normal life. Oh my gosh, yeah, that makes my um three and a half hour drive seem like nothing. Uh, Dave and I left right after the mains too. And of course, Dave and I were both in the B main. He bumped, I didn't, blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> you know, I got the lovely job of pitting him in the A, which I'm sure he was excited about. Honestly, I really like pitting him though. So, you know, I'm okay when I have to pit him. But um, we were the last race, so we left after that, and Dave kind of anticipated that if it was going to be a late night, he would need at least a half day on Monday. So we took a half day on Friday, and he took a half day on Monday, so it, it was like only one day total that we had to take off of work. And um, But I didn't take a half day on Monday. I went to school. I think I had... Well- I think I had screening duty on Monday where you have to screen the kids when they come into the building. And so I had to be there. (laughs) And I was like, oh, man, we got home at three o'clock in the morning and I set my alarm for 545. Oh, that's the worst. I bet you coffee was your best friend that morning. Yes, and I'm not a coffee drinker. But that morning (laughs) I brought coffee to school and I remember my friend saying, what are you drinking? I was like, I know, coffee. It was a rough (laughs) night. (laughs) It's funny. I am not a coffee drinker either. I just, I like coffee. I like the taste of it, but I've never like developed the habit or chose to have the habit. But these past couple like months, I've been like, "Hmm, maybe it's time to start becoming a coffee drinker just to have that extra boost in the morning. (laughs) That's so funny. Of any year, I feel like I've needed it as well. And I totally like don't even like the taste of coffee. So that's funny. I don't know if maybe because we had so much downtime last year that now 
running at the pace we used to run at is like not feasible anymore. I don't know, but yes, it's made me feel like I'm a lot older than I am. I'm like, this used to be easy. So am I getting older or what? (laughs) I don't know. I think our bodies just regressed during the quarantine and now they're in shock that we're throwing them back into life. All right, so let's get into PNB specifically. So we'll start with practice. What did practice day look like for Chloe Bent? Standing in line for Dakota. (laughs) Um, We kind of try to plan our, with it being 24 hours, we try to not tax ourselves a lot on practice day. We kind of get there in the afternoon around like 10 10 a.m., 11-ish, early morning, and just kind of take our time getting ready. And then Dakota will go out and practice for a couple hours till dinner time. We normally stop around six or seven. Um, then we'll go and have like a nice dinner and sit down with everybody in the team and then come back and run till about 2 a.m., 2, 3 a.m. Um, and then go home or go back to the hotel and get some sleep for like a good chunk of time. I know there's some people who practice like early in the morning and then take a nap in the afternoon and then they practice all night long I personally couldn't do that (laughs) um I don't think Dakota could either it's just because then the next day you're just so mentally brain fogged from staying up all night and not getting that sleep and sleep is really important when you're doing something as like mentally physical as what they're doing when they're racing Yes, Dave was, like, struggling to stay awake before his aiming, and he was, like, doing all sorts of crazy things, jumping up and down, hitting his face or whatever, and I was like, oh, my God. I was like, you look so weird right now, but (laughs) we were talking about how it's, like, definitely part of the PNB racing is, like, a total, like, mental game. Like, who can mentally last until the end of the weekend and still be able to focus after you're sleep-deprived? Right. No, I 100% agree with that. It's it's crazy how much mentally there is involved with professional driving and even, like, non-professional driving, but the mental... The mental stamina you have to have to race those 45 minute and 35, like 30 minute A mains and B mains is, it's intense. Yeah, when we interviewed Miss Bella, she said that her third qualifier was definitely the worst because she was the most tired. She said she was falling asleep in line. Right. (laughs) Um, So... PNB practice is definitely unique because at a lot of other places you cannot practice for 24 hours. So in your opinion, what is the best time of day to practice when you're at PNB? I think getting out there, um, I'd say early afternoon just to kind of get warmed up and just learn the layout of the track, I think is really important. And I think that as far as like learning what tires and compounds and stuff to run, I think that's stuff you can worry about later. I think in the morning um, when you first go out to run during PMB, it's just important to mainly just learn, learn the layout, make sure you know, you know, where you need to slow down at, where you can cut corners a little bit. Um, And then coming back, I think running later in the evening, even into the morning 
is good just because of the track. It had so many hours of running on it that it changes overnight, honestly. So I think going back in the, the morning, early morning, late evening, just to then learn track conditions and what tires you're thinking and set up and stuff like that. I never really thought about what you said before, but that is definitely like subconsciously, I guess, my strategy too. So when I first go out on a track, it doesn't matter if it's PNB or not. Like I want to put a good set of tires on that I think will work, but I never will like go out there for my first practice sessions and be like, oh, these tires were awful. Let me go change them. Like, I'm always focused on, I don't really care what I have on right now. I just like, I mean, I am not at the professional level that Dakota is at either though, but I'm just like, let me learn this layout. Like, let me figure out what is a good line? Where's my car supposed to be at what particular point on the track? So I don't really worry about it. But Dave and I did go back at five o'clock in the morning because um, there was like an hour left of practice. But Dave was race one for qualifying and qualifying started at six. So it worked out. We only had to wake up like an hour earlier than we had to be there. But at five o'clock in the morning is really when I did my like, okay, are my tires good? Is this what I'm going to run in the qualifiers? So I would definitely agree kind of too that my focus for tire definitely comes later in my practice day yeah and it's um it, that worked out well for Dave because he got to warm up a little bit on the track and like wake his body up and you know refresh his brain to what he's doing and the layout and stuff so that's kind of convenient that he had his his first heat at the first like the beginning of the morning yeah so he ran open but he um, he felt really good going into the first qualifier. Like, he felt like, man, I could totally, like, TQ the open class right now. And in the first lap, um, right before you go onto the Helka Bucks, his, I forget if it was steering or throttle. I think it was, yeah, it was for sure steering because it would only turn left. So oh. he didn't really even wreck or anything, but a servo went out before he could even oh. like make a lap to get on the clock. And he was really bummed about it because, um, yeah, he just, he felt good about his car. And I was like, it's okay. You have two qualifiers left, you know, like trying to be all yeah. peppy. The supportiveness to bring it back <laughs> up when they're feeling down. Yeah. So I'm trying to be all peppy. And he was like, you don't understand. Like, I can't predict if my car is going to be this good in qualifier two and qualifier three. All I know is that my car was this good right now because we had just practiced right before the qualifier was. I was like, okay, fine. Like, I'll, I'll just <laughs> shut my peppiness off. <laughs> Have your moment, take it in, and then come back and revisit a little later. <laughs> so you guys got to sleep in a little bit because you weren't the first race. But take me through um, your qualifying day. You know, qualifying is honestly kind of a blur to me. Um, I remember the mains decently well, but qualifying, I feel like there's there's a lot of moving pieces when qualifying is going on just because they, you know, you want to get your best run so that way you have a good starting position in the main. Um, so I honestly don't really know what went on during qualifying, if I'm being honest with you. I was just there and 
listening when I needed to go stand in line or get him out on the track or anything like that. I kind of, I stick to what I know, I guess, and I know nothing about setup and I kind of know a little bit about tire choices, but not much. Um, So I stick to getting him food and water and standing in line for him. And if he needs set down during quals, I can, I'm pretty good, decently in pit lane. So I try to take care of that and let him do the rest. That was one of my questions is on qualifying day, like what, what is your job or role for Dakota at the track and kind of, you already kind of spoke to that, but also do you feel like at PNB, like it was really crazy rush to get ready in between qualifiers or because there were a lot of entries, like you feel like Dakota was somewhat calmer because there was time to do stuff in between the qualifiers or just like, what was that like? Um, so my role during qualifying, um, I normally will pit Dakota and start the stopwatch and make sure we get fuel mileage, um, times and all that stuff. But I feel like this year there was a lot, at least for us personally, there seemed like there was a lot of downtime in between, um, qualifiers. I think that his like nitro buggy and truggy and e-buggy races were all really close together during qualifying. But then I think like round one to round two, we had like six, seven hours of time in between. Um, So that made it, it was hectic there when you're in round like qual one and your races are almost back to back. Um, You get, you get a lot of help from, I know Thomas is great. He's always there to go out and marshal for Dakota so he can go back and make some setup changes if he needs to for his next class that he's going to run. You know, it takes it takes a village, and I think that we have a really good team surrounding us to be able to get through those hectic moments. For us, I feel like it felt like less time because we were trying to watch the pros. Because to me, that's part of the excitement. Like, Dave and I were talking about nationals, and um, the buggy mains are on Sunday, right? And so he was like... Well, actually, maybe all mains are on Sunday. Anyways, tomato, tomato. We were like, well, you know, we're not going to be in the finals or semifinals or quarterfinals. So, like, we could probably drive home Sunday because it's only, like, Pennsylvania is only, like, a seven and a half hour drive. But for us, that's, like, part of the fun is getting to watch the quarterfinals and the semifinals and the finals is getting to watch people like Dakota Fend race and so we were in the open class and we were crazy back to back because there's two of us racing at least two classes and a lot of our other friends are running open too so we're trying to help our friends or they're helping us and so the open class is like a total blur and then right after the open class is the pro class and that's the you know that's like the main thing that you want to watch and honestly I feel like I learn a lot when I watch them because I'm like Hmm. Like, uh, they definitely went through that huckabuck section way faster than I did. So let me see what I could learn. But yeah, then like sportsman was our kind of time to wrench. But the schedule was nice because I felt like I could watch the pros and still have time to work or fix on my car if something really did go wrong in the first qualifier. 
Yeah. I don't remember how many entries they had last year. I want to say it was like maybe in the fives. I don't know if you know, but it definitely felt like there was a lot more people here this year. Yeah, I I don't remember. That would be really interesting to see what they did have last year. I know things were just kind of opening up, so I don't yeah. know if it was as high of an entry count as it was this year. But for whatever reason, I felt like they did run a really good program. Like, especially if I think about just main day, we ended at like 1030 or 11. There have, and that was with 850 entries, right? There have been years where the A-mains didn't end. I remember one year my sportsman A-main ended at like 2.30. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we were all a little apprehensive. I wouldn't say apprehensive. We were all just kind of wondering what the schedule would look like this year because of not, like Jimmy Babcock and Sean normally are the ones who have ran PMB for so many years. And then coming into PMB this year with a new announcer, Lance, who did a phenomenal job. Um, pros to Lance. I think he did it almost by himself. And he did such a good job, ran a great program. But I think also going into it, not knowing what to expect this year was also a little different. Yeah, I um, I definitely missed Jimmy and Sean. I always love talking to them at the racetrack. But I would agree that um, Lance definitely did a good job and it's crazy what he was able to do because I talked to him. We like sometimes race with each other outside of those race time entertainment events and I was just like man Lance how are you doing? He was like going to take an hour nap. I mean he literally (laughs) would sleep for like just one hour and then be right back at it. I'm like I don't know how you're functioning right now. I, yeah, I don't know either. I think for any race director to take on a 24-hour race, they have to be crazy. Did you or Dakota felt like, like the coverage or what was being called out during the race was okay? I think that Dakota can hear what he's saying, and I think it is helpful for him to know, you know, where other drivers are at on the clock. But it's really handy. Um, Dakota just started using them maybe three years ago. The headsets that people are using in pit lane. Um, He put off using them for years. He just didn't. He thought that they would annoy him or he would be uncomfortable with them on. And I don't know. It took him a while to get used to the idea. But he's now come to really use them and rely on them. And so it is helpful when either I or whoever else is pitting them has the headset on because then he can ask detailed questions on like, okay, how far ahead is this person or where are they at on the track? So that way he knows what he needs to do to get where he needs to be at the end of that qualifier. Yeah, I feel like that's a really good point because I do wear the headsets and I feel like I pay attention to that even more than the announcer sometimes or because I have the headsets on and and if my pit guy is talking, like that's all I hear over the announcer, but I often will be like, oh, repeat, like what did the announcer say or where am I at? Um, I feel like I asked uh, Miss Bella if she used a headset because... You know, she only races electric, but I feel like at a race like PNB where there's all these joker strategies and 
You don't necessarily know exactly where someone is at or how many jokers they used or am I going to have clear track if I take the joker lane? Like I could see that being a benefit even if you were not a nitro racer at a race as crazy as P&B. Yeah, they definitely come in handy. Um, I think especially in bigger events like P&B and being in the arenas and nitro indoors, it kind of all bounces off of each other. So being able to have something so clear that you can communicate to each other with is, it's really helpful. Are you the one that's on the other side of the headsets during the qualifiers in the mains? Um, it depends. If I'm in qualifiers, it is normally me. Um, during mains, I didn't pit Dakota at PMB because you could only have one person in pit lane. And I'm just not quite strong enough to be able to lift the truggy and be able to do it efficiently fast enough by myself. Um, so he had Mike Sontag, who lives in Michigan with us. He pitted him for um, P&B and he had the headset on for that race. Um, I've definitely at least talked about that with Megan Tebow before. I feel like if I am losing time to anybody in the pits, like say a guy doing a pit stop versus me doing a pit stop or even comparing myself to Dave, I feel like where he gains an extra second on me in buggy, especially as he's able to do it with one arm where he picks the front of the car up with one arm and is able to fuel with the other. I have to pick it up with both arms because I don't have the arm strength to just pick it up with just my front arm. <laughs> yeah, It's funny. Dakota set up a little station in our basement and we've been practicing me like trying to figure out what the best way would be for me to pit like one-handed um just for if you know he needs a backup or if I need to step in or anything it's always nice knowing you have somebody there who you can count on who can get the job done so we've been kind of messing around with it in the basement and like figuring out the best strategy (laughs) that's awesome we have done that in our front yard before when uh, my yeah. cousin was in town one day. We were, like, trying to teach him how to do a pit stop. And I guess I was, you know, I got some good practice out <laughs> of it, too. Yeah. You know, it's just like anything else. Dakota has his job, and whoever is pitting them has their job. And you have to look at it like a job. And so you want to make sure that you're the best prepared as you can be for it. I feel like it would, for me, I feel like it would take, like, some serious, like, CrossFit workouts to get the arm strength that I needed to pick the car up. A truggy, especially. Yeah, I I haven't messed around with the truggy yet. We've been mainly focusing on buggy. But I do tell you, a glove for our girly hands is really helpful. I cut, I took, like, a garden glove and I cut fingers out of it and it it made it a lot easier to have a little more grip on it. So if you ever get in that situation, make sure you grab a glove just in case. I feel like I haven't used a glove recently, but I feel like I could understand why that would help me even more because there was one time that Dave came into the pit so hot that it bruised my hand. Yeah. And I feel like ever since then, I've been more apprehensive to like really catch the car like some other people do and so I feel like just that part alone would make me feel like safer or more comfortable I guess if I had a glove because I feel like he could come in faster without me (laughs) worrying about if I'm gonna break my hand 
Um, we actually talked about making race like a girl gloves, like, you know, the mechanics gloves. Instead of saying mechanics, it would say race like a girl. We got a demo sent to us, but haven't oh. followed through with it. Yeah, I will definitely be keeping an eye out for those. It took Dakota a long time, and he's still pretty hesitant about me catching him. So even if there are two people allowed in pit lane, I'm always on the fuel gun just because he's, like, worried about breaking my hands or hurting me in some way. So he's like, no, like, don't catch. But, yeah, he's he said if I was to pit him and I was by myself, he could, you know, he can control how fast he comes in. But that is definitely – it's they come in with a lot of force – and it's it's damn like I've seen people who you know get bruised hands like you're talking about Dave um Dave is the same way and and since that happened I was like wincing and hurried up and like (laughs) threw my microphone up so he didn't hear me be like ow 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 but he knew that it happened because there was like an actual mark on my hand and so sometimes he'll come in so slow and I'm like just (laughs) just come in like so it's almost like he's apprehensive too he like takes it so much slower when I'm pitting him I'm like it's fine I'll catch you just come in I feel you there so I'm curious before we move to the mains if because the joker strategy was something that was very unique and specific to PNB as well so I'm curious if Dakota commented on or you felt some sort of way about the Joker during qualifying. So I guess one from like a spectator pit person perspective, what was it like to try to manage that during qualifying? And two, was there any specific strategy that Dakota talked to you about going into the qualifiers? Like, for example, was he... Like, oh, I'm for sure going to take it at the beginning or for sure going to take it at the end or something like that. Yeah, so I think from a spectator's point of view, the Joker lane is really confusing. I think it's a cool thought, but I think for like, especially in the mains, like spectators trying to follow what's going on and where the cars are on the track and stuff, it makes it really confusing. Um I personally, since I kind of understand Live RC and understand what's going on, I think it's a really, really cool added aspect that, like, can make or break a qual or even your main. Um, So Dakota didn't really have any strategy. I know last year, things just fell the way they fell, and he saved all of them for his last three laps. Um, But this year, I think his strategy has kind of always been going into it if he feels that he had a really rough rap, like a lap and he wrecked or if he was in a huge pack of traffic, then he would just take it to either gain a couple seconds from making up from that crash or to just kind of get out of the pack. So I think it just depended on every single run, kind of what was going on out there. Yeah, that was kind of like my thought process behind the question, too, is I feel like some people had like a dead set strategy going into a qualifier of the race. But then if something happened during the race, that just kind of like totally went out the window and it was a total different strategy. Right. I honestly had no clue when he was going to take one. I just watched the clock and I'm like, oh, he went he took it that time. Um, so it was totally, it was all on him. Whenever he thought he needed to do for his race, he did it. And 
there wasn't any like, oh, take the Joker lean now. It looks good. It was it was completely him. I found out after he did it. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move into the mains. So you said you remember the mains a lot. So what did the mains look like for you? Um, so the mains looked like I, so with only having one person on pit lane, I took more of the stand on the side. I still was kind of in charge of the stopwatch and stuff, but I got to actually watch Dakota drive more than I normally get to. So I really enjoyed that part of it. I'm very nervous watching Dakota. I think when I'm in pit lane, I have something to focus on and I have a job to do. So that way I don't really have time to be nervous, but I did notice that like when I don't have anything going on or anything to do, I'm a nervous wreck and I feel like I'm pacing or I'm like grabbing the railing, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And so it was definitely, it was almost like a new experience for me as well, watching him race versus being in the pits and not really being able to watch him drive. I feel like I didn't notice this either until you said it, but if I think about myself watching Dave and E-Buggy and myself watching Dave in Nitro, I was this pit person for Nitro. So I feel like there was more of a purpose for me to be focused and like I can't really be freaking out if I'm trying to yeah. talk to him over the headset. But when I was watching E-Buggy, it was, in, it was the total opposite. And in his B-Main, he took the Joker lane the first lap, and I was, like, in full panic mode <laughs> in pit lane. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how your your body is able to, like, set emotions aside when you have, you know, something important to do versus when you're just freely watching them and you just don't have any control over what they're doing or like what's going on you're like oh I don't know it's way nerve-wracking and I definitely prefer being on the other like being in pit lane versus watching because it's stressful so how do you feel or how did Dakota feel like the mains went like did um after the mains did he debrief with you or anything like that about like yeah it was a good day or eh, whatever kind of a thing yeah, I think that, you know, he started out with Nitro Truggy and he ended up with the second, but I think that he was genuinely really happy with that second place that he was able to get with um, Nitro Truggy. E with uh, Nitro Buggy, he just had some unfortunate circumstances with um, just tires and other drivers and, you know, it happens at races and... That yeah, just happened to be his race where it just didn't quite work out the way that he was hoping it would. Um, and then E-Buggy was just wrong tire choice and it was not, it wasn't pleasant, but that's okay. You know, we'll come back stronger and better for the next race and, you know, we just take it from there. Second was definitely amazing and truggy. And I feel like I even had like mixed emotions about my own racing, like Truggy, I was kind of like, and eh, I'm normally, you know, I'm normally, Truggy is normally my class that I like can really drive the Truggy hard and really like that would be the class that I felt like I had a shot at, you know, making the A. Um, 
but that class just didn't really go that well. <laughs> but um, my buggy, I feel like went really well. And even though I didn't bump out of the B, it's kind of like you said, some stuff happens and that's racing. Um, but what I was like most proud of, I guess you could say, even though I didn't bump out of the B, was that my speed was very close to Dave. And that normally doesn't happen. Norm normally Dave is like hands down almost a second ahead of me. And in the B main, I was, because we were both in the B main, that was fun. <laughs> um, but in the B main, I was only three tenths off of him. So it's, you know, it's almost like you look at those little wins. Um, I ended up in the B main in pit row. Another pit guy thought I was his driver and pit me, picked me up in like my... <laughs> Oh, no. My mental capacity was just kind of, like, all flustered after that. Yeah. So it definitely was not his fault that I wrecked after that. It was just hard for me to regroup. But right, I saw some hope with my speed. And I guess my point is, too, that PNB, the lap times were, like, one of the longest lap times compared to any other track that we go to. So for me to be that close in lap time at a much bigger track is like, I will totally take that as a win. Yeah, you know, you got to look for the the silver lining. You know, when you have races that are disappointing, you got to be like, okay, well, what did I learn from this that I can, you know, take with me? So that's really cool that you got to do that. So what do you feel like was the coolest thing that you saw or experienced at PNB? Because I feel I feel like I've even said it a couple times on this podcast that there's certain stuff that is like unique or different to PNB. So in your opinion, what was one of the coolest things that you saw or experienced this weekend? So I'm sure that multiple people have seen or have talked about, but the rocket car is a lot of fun. Um, I think it's really cool to see how creative people get with coming up with like different different designs that they think are going to make it go farther and, you know, way higher up in the sky and stuff. So I think that was really cool to see. And it was really cool to see all the people who came out to watch that. And the whole side of the building, the lawn was packed. And just seeing how excited people were to, to see that, that's something different. I really enjoyed that. And they also, like, Dave has really inventive ideas. So there was, like, a Jumbotron that was going, and all the drivers did, like, a little clip of themselves. And it just made it feel like a huge event that you would see, like, moto, like Supercross and stuff like that. It made it have that kind of vibe to it. So I think that's really cool. He had bubble machines, but they were fog. So it was like, I don't even know how to explain it. You would pop the bubble and just like steam would come up. It was really cool. So Dave has really cool ideas on how to make PMB just a race that's like none other. Yeah, no one's actually talked about that yet. But those fog bubbles were one of the coolest things. I've never seen that before never seen them either I was really puzzled when I was you know walking through the tunnel to go check what race they were on or something and I pop one and I'm like whoa what just happened they were really cool 
Yeah, so it was like it was like a fog machine and a bubble machine. I don't know if it was like a fog machine and a bubble machine together or they were just both working at the same time. But it's like these bubbles, someone probably has a video of it. It was like these bubbles would come out and they'd be like really dark bubbles because there was fog in them. And then when you popped it, all the fog would like disintegrate. It was really cool. Yeah, super cool. I've never seen them before. So, Dave, if you're listening, feel free to send me the link to where you got the fog bubbles because those were awesome. (laughs) And then to follow up with the rocket car launch, too, is TLR going to enter a rocket car launch anytime soon? They might. I'm sure, you know, if Dave wants more people to join, Dakota would be on board to seeing what he can rig up to fly in the air we did one last year but then they ended up not having the rocket car launch so we still have a rocket car sitting in our basement that will be willing to be used so maybe next year we'll see something well that's pretty cool I mean I loved watching Joe and Cole but I felt like I could have watched plenty more people do it so I feel like the more people in that rocket car launch the better but what was crazy yeah. about Joe's launch is that he launched it over the parking lot into the next, like, grass field. <laughs> yeah, his went crazy far. I think um, I think it would be really cool if each team, like, main team, you know, Techno Associated, Hot Bodies, S-Works, TLR, all made a rocket car and, like, had, like, kind of a competition within itself I think that would be a cool way to give the pro guys something like fun to do RC related during a really stressful big event I agree that would be super cool we need we need to get Dave on that (laughs) yeah we'll have to we'll have to message Dave and let him know what we're thinking so speaking of like I don't know what category I want to put this under but I'm curious from the pros pro perspective how do you or dakota feel like pnb specifically was run and catered to the pros like do you feel like there were appropriate driver introductions and things of that nature or just in general is there something that more that can be done for the pro guys specifically yeah i think um related to like pnb I think that they, you know, Dave and Lance ran a great program this year. The driver intros were great. They got to walk through this cool tunnel with smoke machines and stuff like that. So I think that as far as like PMB, I think it went really well this year. Um, I think that like non-related to PMB, I want to make sure that that's like, that's clear. It's not related to PMB. I think there are definitely some things that, Um, as an RC industry, I think that we can improve on um, when it comes to bigger races. I think that having like a more, a strict marshalling um, schedule, like making you have your car number and a cone number. And if you aren't out and when you get done racing, if you aren't to your cone within, you know, the allotted warm up time, then you get docked a lap. I think just having you know, a stricter protocol for marshals because I can't tell you how many times 
we've been at races and you're sitting there waiting and people are waiting to go race and they're calling out marshals time and time again. And I think that just being able to have a stricter like marshal protocol for, you know, these bigger races would help us get through time wise. Again, non PMB related, just something RC wise I think we could improve on. No, I definitely understand because I feel like they did do a really good job at hustling people out there at PNB. So, like, I didn't even see that as an issue at PNB. But I think it is helpful at any race if there is something structured like that. So there's no question, like, like, especially if I'm thinking, like, in one of my qualifiers – um, I was like got an extra lap, right? So I'm like now the last person crossing the loop. So I'm the last person like going out onto the um going out onto the driver's stand when or the uh track when the next race is trying to start. I'm like looking all around like what's left, where am I supposed to go? This race is trying to start. If you have like numbers or things like that, then I can look at that ahead of time. And it's very clear, even if I am the last guy, that like, okay, I'm supposed to go to this spot. Yeah, you always know where you need to go. And especially if it's something that's that's installed for every single race event. So it's the same, like consistent everywhere. Then people, you know, there would be no question on what to do, where to go, who's not doing their part. It would just it would end all of that. And I think that would be helpful. The other thing that I would give PNB a very big kudos about is the Jumbotron and those driver profiles were super cool. And I feel like definitely took it to the next level. One thing specifically about the Jumbotron that I liked was under. So first of all, the driver profiles were super cool. But underneath the driver profiles, the last screen was like the timing and scoring screen. And so I don't remember who I was talking to, but we liked that we could see that even if we weren't standing over in pit row. So it was like kind of nice that you didn't have to pull your phone out if you were just like standing around the track. If you were by the Jumbotron, it was just real nice and big for you, like the timing and scoring. Yeah, that was super handy just to, like you said, not having to pull out your phone. I feel like you're already, you have a car in your hand and a pit bag or you have all this stuff and it's the little things that you really notice and that for sure was one of them. So the driver profiles, we tried to, um, got Jacob to do some of those for Race Like a Girl and I know we got you to do one. So I'm curious as to what it was like to make one of those driver profiles. Oh my gosh. I am pretty sure you had a good, there was a good turnout for that. I think that was super, a great idea. Super fun. It was awkward though. If I'm going to be honest, you get there and you have 10 seconds to just kind of like do different poses and move around a little bit. And it feels like the longest 15 seconds of your life you're like what the heck I think it took me like 15 retakes to figure out what I was doing because I was like moving too fast or I would go too slow and there's a lot there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes in that little 15 seconds that you would think 
Yeah, I um I watched Miss Bella before I did mine, and of course, like Miss Bella was just like doing her thing and got hers done the first try. And, <laughs> and um the other thing that I noticed when I was watching her and he was counting the full fifteen seconds, I was like, oh my gosh, it feels like you were counting for a year. Yes, it really it does. You're just kind of you think that you're doing great. And that you have it all figured out. And then you get in front of that camera and you just like, at least me, for me personally, I just froze. I'm like, I don't know. I don't remember anything. It all went in one year, out the other. And it it definitely, I was not a one shot and done. Poor Jacob. <laughs> He's so, <laughs> had such great patience because it took me, it took me a little bit. Yeah, he's definitely really good at coaching through the process because I think my first take, I stepped backwards and he was like, don't do that or do it sideways because I stepped out of the light and he feel like yeah. he lost the light. I was like, oh, I wouldn't even pay. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even think twice about something like that. But yep. it definitely did not take me just one take. It was, <laughs> it was more <laughs> than one for sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. I'm still, I'm, I'm bracing myself for whenever those get revealed because I didn't watch it. I just did my last, like, number 15. <laughs> and I just, I was like, okay, we're done. I don't know what this looks like, but we're going to take it because it's probably the best we're going to get. So I'm definitely anticipating when those come out. Um, <laughs> we'll see what happened. <laughs> That's funny. I will definitely let you know. Jacob hasn't followed up with me yet. I mean, I haven't really followed up with him. I figured he was probably recovering from PNB, yeah. but we should be able to release those on the page soon. Yeah, they're super fun. I'm excited for everybody to see them. I feel like, though, those driver profiles definitely is something that helped take the pros to a different level because I felt like when you were watching those, you know, I know this is probably going to sound really silly, and especially if Dakota listens to that, he's going to be like, what? But in NASCAR, you watch, like, a NASCAR driver. Like, I love Kyle Busch, and... I feel like having those like little driver profiles almost made it like that much more personable or able for like a spectator to connect to a driver and really feel like you're like, oh, you know, who's my favorite driver that I'm going to root for during mm -hmm. this main? Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. It kind of took it. I don't think it's funny at all. I think it took it to like a different like another level. Where they could, they see the names and they hear like, oh, these are the best of the best. This is the pro guys. But to be able to put like a face to that name and even some of them brought their cars with them. So you could pick out, you know, the paint scheme and kind of match it up, I think was really cool. And I would love to see that at more races. Yeah, I think about... um one of our friend Marlo, he has a little boy Carter. He's like six year old, six years old. So I mean, he doesn't really have a concept of like, you know, like Ty Tessman, Dakota Fens. Okay. Like, all he sees is their paint color cars. Yeah. And so when we were watching the A Main, I was like, Oh, Carter, what's your favorite colors? And he said something like blue, red, and green. And we couldn't find one that was blue, red, and green. So I think he settled for Dakotas. But oh. I mean, to him, that was everything. Yeah. Like, 
you who had the colors was who he wanted to root for. (laughs) And so I think stuff like that is super cool and helps bring the spectators more into it. So I guess I'm curious because you were probably around a lot more of the pro drivers than I was. So just like any pro driver, not just Dakota, was there like positive feedback or were they like, oh, why are we doing this? Um, from what I heard, I think everybody thought it was really cool. I think that they all, I'm speaking for them, they could have different opinions, but I think from what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, I think all the pro guys would love to make the industry something that's more well known to like a national and like global level. So I think little things like this make it is just another step closer to getting to the point where we are like NASCAR and football and the drone racing and supercross, you know, just any little thing to make RC more well-known and easier for people to follow, I think is, you know, I think they're all about that. They love the industry. They love the sport and the career that they're doing. And I think any way that they can make it more accessible to anybody else, I think that they would more than willing to be able to do that. Yeah, I feel like um, I have like an interesting, relevant example. One of my teacher friends at school told our school news channel that I raced RC cars and she kind of voluntold me for like this like little teacher hobby spotlight segment. And so the um, news team reached out to me and they were like, hey, can I record you in your RC cars? I was like, oh, my gosh, like... <laughs> All of these high schoolers are about to <laughs> are about to watch me and my hobby. Like the first thing I thought of was, oh man, like what are they gonna say about me? But there were so many kids that when the video actually played, they were like, wait, like do we have an RC club at school? Like how how do I do this? And so that just kind of speaks to like if there was some sort of more visibility more would be interested at least even watching it yep I can't tell you how many people I meet whether it's doctors or even just random co-workers that are like oh you know what does your husband do and you know I tell them about it and they're like no way that sounds like the coolest thing ever and you can tell that they're just interested and I've even had people ask like how can I watch? How can I, you know, get into this and follow it? And being, I mean, we have LiveRC, which is a great resource. Facebook is a great resource now to be able to lead people to. But I think the more we can get it out there, there would be a big following for it. I completely agree. Um, well, I think that's like the end of my questions. So any last closing thoughts to wrap up your weekend on PNB? No, I feel like we covered covered it all and then some. I absolutely love talking to you, Katie. I love what you're doing with Race Like a Girl and trying to get more girls. I see your pictures on Facebook all the time of like these future girl RC drivers and I just keep doing what you're doing. I love it and full support it. 
Thank you so much, Chloe. And we always appreciate your willingness to come on the podcast. We always enjoy our time with you. And for me personally, it's always so much fun. So we cannot thank you enough for your willingness to be a part of it. Yeah, thank you. It's it's my pleasure. I have a lot of fun. Love doing them. So thanks for the opportunity. All right. To everybody else. You know, you never know. Maybe we'll catch up with Chloe after Silver State and see all the fun Las Vegas adventures that she got to go on. Um, Until then, we will see everybody at the track the next time. Bye, guys.